Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. There's a big difference between being rich and being wealth. The comedian Chris Rock said it best. He said, Shaq is rich. The guy who signs his check is wealthy. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where I teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Sam Liebman, and Sam is the founder and CEO of Wealthway Equity Group, it's a New York-based private equity and real estate development company. He's owned substantial interest in over 70 properties over the past 30 years, ranging from multifamily office, shopping centers, ground-up construction, luxury condominiums in Manhattan, and seems like everything in between. He's also the CEO of Rolling Cash Realty, a management company, uh, and as a partner at Tepper & Company, a, a public accounting firm. And in addition to that, he's written a book called Harvard Can't Teach What You Learn from the Streets, The Street Success Guide to Building Wealth Through Multifamily Real Estate. So Sam, obviously uh, a lot of uh, credibility, a, a lot of track record. Excited to have you on the show today to help educate our listeners. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hit the highlights in the bio, but you know, help folks know a little bit about more about who you are and, and how you got to where you are today. Well, basically, I'm a kid from Canarsie, Brooklyn, which I refer to as the Mafia Minor Leagues, a rough place to grow up, which forces you to learn street smarts, you know, how to get your spider sense tingling. It was survival. So learning on the streets, you learn to anticipate a lot of things. And that anticipation is very, very important. I've carried that over combined it with a traditional education. I majored in accounting, became a CPA, and um, used those street smarts combined. And that's a big key to becoming successful, anticipating problems, um, looking for opportunities overlooked by others. And um, it was a long trek. It came from a very dysfunctional family. And I just kept fighting. I just kept reading and fighting. I wanted to be successful. And thank God I've achieved it. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I mean, I love those stories of the people start, you start out with nothing and, and you build up and yeah. now you've got this 30 year career in real estate and this nice portfolio. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So, 
you know, you, we've got a lot of history. Uh, you've been in the market for, for a long time. You've seen a lot of ups and downs. Uh, one thing that we were talking about, kind of, you know, as we were discussing topics for the show is just really painting some context around the market that we're in today, kind of how that, how that differs from maybe where we were before, how we've got to, to where we are, you know, in the market today. And I think especially talking about multifamily and, and the, on the residential side of things, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so let me get your perspective on kind of, you know, where we've come and, and where we are now. Well, real estate, you got to look at the history of real estate. They talk about cycles, but I've never seen a cycle like this. Um, what you have is when I started buying properties from 1992 to 1997, we bought about, oh, about 30 properties. Interest rates were 9.75%. But properties, you could buy for three times rent roll. You got to buy real estate when nobody wants it. Today, everybody wants it. And when you look at why that was, you know, there's a lot of changes. There was no money back then. Zillions of properties, but no money. Now there's a lot of money, but no properties. So that and other other um, reasons and factors have driven up these markets. I can give you a couple of reasons. Interest rates are historically low which means you can afford to buy a bigger building, excuse me, more expensive building. Um, There's tremendous tax advantages in real estate. There is, it's prestigious. Um, There is the ability to increase property value tremendously. And there's a shortage of rental housing right now. So real estate, as I say, is more concrete. There is just so much potential. It's everybody's darling. However, you have the office building sector and the retail sector that's circling the toilet. So a lot of that money that would have gone into office and retail investment is now being diverted into residential. If I buy residential, I, I can get, I just refinance. I got two and a half percent fixed for 10 years. I mean, where are you going to get that? In commercial or retail, first of all, in my opinion, office buildings are going to be facing Armageddon soon. I mean, I don't think occupancy will ever go over 65%. You don't need to work in a city to do business in the city. You know, I used to trek two two hours a day driving into heavy traffic to get into the city, you know, take a dirty train. You don't need to do that. You don't need to go on an airplane for a conference anymore. So all these different sectors have to be, uh, have to just change. And I'm predicting Armageddon. I mean, if you look at the last two years because of the pandemic, if you owned office space or retail space, you've lost a fortune. Okay, just look at the Armageddon that I predict coming for office buildings. Say you're a law firm, a big firm, you have 30,000 square feet. You're paying in Manhattan $80 a foot. Well, now your lease is up for renewal. You call up the owner and say, hey, we got to talk. I can't pay $80 anymore. And I can't pay, I I don't want 30,000 square feet. I only want 15,000 square feet. Now look at the ramifications for that, the domino effect, the decrease in property value. The owner now knows that the the building next door is offering everything, $65 a foot instead of 80. So you have to reduce the existing tenants rent down to 65, okay, which decreases your NOI. 
And that's a one tenant. You have to retrofit the 15,000 existing tenants, spend a fortune, maybe the bathroom's on the wrong side. Then you have the new 15,000 square feet that you have to retrofract, uh, give a tenant, pay a broker, excuse me, get a new tenant, pay a broker, et cetera, retrofit that. And I'm just talking about one little tenant in the building. So the property values, in my opinion, are going to go down so much, they're going to be below the mortgage and there's going to be a tremendous amount of foreclosures and potentially a tremendous opportunity to pick up these properties at bargain basement prices. Whereas rental, excuse me, uh, residential, sky's the limit. I mean, it just keeps going up because interest rates are so low. Mm-hmm. And it's the darling right now. You know, there's cultural changes with millennials, how they want to live, and houses are just outpriced themselves. You can't buy a house now. Uh, look at Florida and um, Texas, housing prices almost doubled, doubled. So, you know, that's where we are right now. Things could change if Europe, which is becoming more destabilized especially with the war, ever was able to stabilize and foreigners were allowed to come back into the country, you know, that would help tremendously. You know, I read in a statistic years ago that a third of all new condo projects will never be lived in. It was all foreign investment. You know, now the dollar is stronger. Yeah, now the dollar is a lot stronger. So there's many factors. So, you know, to recap, we're kind of... uh, I think it, from a multifamily st- standpoint, right? I mean, we, we know prices are high. We know that uh, it's interesting thinking about office and residential and and people forecasting where those are going to go. And instead of putting money into those other asset classes, dumping even more into residential, into multifamily, mm-hmm. uh, compounded by the low interest rates, all these things come together, the supply and demand dynamics, the fact that you know demand is far outpacing supply. So, so in this market, you know, we're being forced to uh, take on, I think, more risk for less return than we have in uh, a long time. I don't know, may, maybe more than ever, right? Um, that's a great the- point. Yeah, that's a great point. I'll give you an example. I built a 21-story building uh, back in 2002, I believe. Mm-hmm. That time, we got a $30 million construction loan that you have to sign personally for put in, I think, $10, $12 million in equity, and we built our building. That exact same building to build now, you'd have to sign a sixty or $70 million construction cost, uh, excuse me, construction loan, put in $20 million in equity, and you know the price has to be so high to get. So you're taking on, to your point, more risk for less reward than ever before. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling that personally too. We've got a couple of, a couple of plots of land that we're working on developing and uh, we we just got some initial construction bids and they about knocked me out of my chair. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to see how, how we maneuver and and how we manage that and, um, you know, manage a strategy, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely feeling it too. So, so in this market with things like this, there's obviously, I mean, I guess here's the rub. There's still plenty of demand for multifamily, right? I, I don't see yeah. that rents stop increasing anytime soon. Maybe not growing at the crazy rates that they did last year, right? We had, you know, up to 50% in places like Phoenix and Vegas and Florida and 25 in Atlanta. And I mean, even here in Indianapolis, rents grew about 12% last year. 
which we've been a steady two to 3% uh, town, you know, for, for all of history. So, so in this environment, like, how do you, how do you make the, yes, it's more, it's more risk, but also there seems to be plenty of, of reward and runway still out there. So how do you, how do you kind of wrap your your head around all this? Well, first of all, you, when you mentioned, excuse me, 12 and a half percent increase over last year, well, did last year go down 30% because of the pandemic? So we're talking about 12 and a half percent over a lower number. Those, these mm-hmm. numbers get, you know, when I hear this, it's, uh, you know, a little deceiving. Is it 12 and a half percent of what the rents that you could have gotten if there was no pandemic? Um, rents are going to keep going up for a lot of reasons. But at some point, people are just not going to be able to afford it. And, um, you know, the, what really, when you look at it from a developer standpoint, it's not just the increase in rents, it's the increase in property value. Let me give you an honest, uh, an honest story. Last year, I lost and my partners millions of dollars in rent write-offs because people weren't paying, they were leaving, you couldn't evict them, mm. right? Insurance doubled. My buildings went up in value. Just by holding the residential multifamily real estate that had three, four million dollars less in rent, or you know, it went up in value. I mean, you know this. You're looking to do a construction job. Well, the cost of supplies and and uh, labor has doubled, right? Because of the pandemic, right? Because of the shortages. So if you get your approvals and your uh, the timing is wrong. You're going to build your building for twice what it costs, whereas maybe if I wait, it'll be half, go back down again. So everybody just yeah. doesn't know, you know, which way to turn. But there are tremendous opportunities. When I look at a property, especially residential now, I say, where am I going to be in five years? Not now, not with the cap rate now. Where am I going to be? What can I do to this building? Or what is going to increase that I'm going to be able to increase property value? I deal in building wealth. There's a big difference between being rich and being wealth. The comedian Chris Rock said it best. He said, Shaq is rich. The guy who signs his check is wealthy. <laughs> and it's true. So when it's not just the rents are going to go up in residential real estate, we have tremendous tax advantages. Um, I'm not going to get into all of them, but Basically, it's the best tax shelter I've ever seen in my life, legal. You know, you can basically, um, you have what's called the right type of income. You know, there's the wrong type of income and the right type of income. The wrong type of income is, I don't know, Merrill Lynch. You make $2 million a year. Half goes to the government. But if you make $2 million a year in real estate, you keep it all. I got a $5,600 stimulus check last year. I sent it back. They sent it back to me. I shouldn't be getting a a stimulus check. That's because of all the depreciation. I call it steroid depreciation that the government's three last administrations have given us. Mm -hmm. So you're not only getting property of of, um, increase in property value that's not taxed. You're getting distributions that's not taxed. And a lot of times you're build, you know, you're paying off a mortgage. Now, one of the things they've already changed is banks are now offering interest-only mortgages. Mm-hmm. Now, by doing that, it enables people to pay lower cap rates 
because you don't have to pay the amortization. So you have enough cash to pay your mortgage and other things. The downside of that is what if, if you take a five-year mortgage, what happens in five years if things change for the worse? Interest rates just go up to 5%. So that's going to be the real test. That's why you got to constantly increase property value and there are a lot of ways to do that. Yeah. So that, that's a great segue to my next question, which is, we understand this environment. You've helped us understand the, the drastic changes that have occurred and the increases, but you know, as real estate professionals or, or people who still want to own real estate, I mean, we still have to go out and transact. So what's the strategy to avoid just making a, a, a cataclysmic mistake in this market? Well, to me, it's like anything else. It's master the fundamentals. You know, I give the example of the tennis instructor that has a kid that's talented and he teaches him to, you know, keep hitting that forehand until it's perfect, uh, perfect before going on to the backhand. Because if you don't, the talented kid has a floor in his forehand that eventually is going to catch up with him as he plays better players. In real estate, if you don't master the fundamentals, same thing's going to happen. You're going to keep going until you meet a property or a property owner that's smarter than you, and you might fall into, you know, his uh, his uh, scheme, call it. You know, first thing I ask is, why is the property for sale? If real estate is such a great investment, why is the property for sale? Mm-hmm. There's good reasons, there's bad reasons. You know, um, God forbid you find a uh, toxic waste dump underneath your, you know, first thing to go is call a broker, <laughs> sell us. Right. You know, so you have to master fundamentals of why a building goes up, the different categories of expenses that are in all multifamily properties. Because there is a chart of accounts that you have to master of all the different expenses. You have to understand what these expenses are. I'll give you an example. If I look at a building now and I see that the water and sewer, it's 100 units, and the water and sewer is uh, $80,000 a year. And I know it should be not more than $60,000 a year. I know there's water leaks, hidden water leaks. So if I, if I can uh, find those water leaks and repair them, I could save $10,000, $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. At just a five cap, and now they're selling for three caps. At a five cap, that's $200,000 in increased property value that I made by just reducing the expense, right? That's a fundamental understanding what net operating income is and how $1 of increased revenue or $1 of decreased expenses in a five cap environment increases property value $20. That is the key fundamental that I stress in, in everything I do, and especially when I talk to young people. This is the E equals MC square of real estate. Property value equals um, net operating income over the cap rate. That's how you increase property value. And if I'm giving raises, if I'm looking at a landscape contra- uh, contract, uh, it, how it goes up and all, my mind goes, how does that pre- affect property value? Because if you don't increase property value, what are you doing? Now, 
I want to mention something that's very important. This is a fundamental. In, in my book, Harvard Can't Teach, You Learn From the Streets, this, we focus on the fundamentals of people. In my mind, there's four ways to, to increase property value. First one is you buy a building and you do nothing but pray it goes up. And a lot of people, a lot it of It seems people, like today's strategy. Well, a lot of people in the last five, 10 years were rewarded. They did nothing to the building. They collected the rents. They left everything there and kept going up. That's not what the pros do. The pros do the next three. Number two is to increase the property's revenue. Okay, you go into an apartment, you, you put in wooden floors instead of carpeting, you put granite in or fake granite or new appliances, you increase the rent. Okay, number three is you increase the number of rentable square footage of the building. You can build in some buildings on the roof, you can build in the basement, you can build in the backyard, gives you a bigger base to charge rent. And the fourth and easiest way is to reduce operating expenses. And remember, any one of those for every dollar that you raise rent, dollar divided by the cap rate, which is the formula, increases property value $20. So think about that. If I could reduce an expense or increase uh, um, uh, revenue, just by, for every dollar, I'm going to get $20. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, the key it's a powerful multiplier, right? I mean, and yeah. that is... That's the best part about commercial real estate is the, the ability to create forced appreciation, not just rely on the market to go up, right? You can actually make a change, increase the value. That's what I mean, that's what I love about it. So so you, you hit on these items, increase rent, increase the rentable area, decrease expenses. Mm -hmm. What are some, what are a couple of your favorite ways uh, to do to do any any of those things? Pick a couple. You know, what where do you see the most rent increases? Perhaps like, like what are you doing renovation wise? The biggest way to uh, okay. One of the things I talk about this in the book is one of the questions I ask is I call it psychological due diligence. A lot of people do analytical due diligence, but I do psychological due diligence. And that means what makes the owner tick? We've made a fortune by analyzing and doing owner profiles. If I know that Joe, Joe Smith owns a certain building and he was a great operator and he did everything he could to maximize the uh, property value before he sells, I don't wanna buy that building. There's nothing I'm gonna do better than Joe Smith. Yeah. But if I find a family with a, the father passed away and it's owned by three kids in three states who don't talk to each other, they don't wanna put money in the building, that's my kind of guys. Okay, I call them virgin buildings, buildings that have never been touched. Those are the kind of buildings you want because you could go in there and you do all these things to increase property value. And it's not, they call it value add. That you've heard that term value add. Now everything's value add. But I made a fortune taking C buildings in A locations and B locations and converting them to B class buildings. Now that's hard to do right now because what they've done is the brokers have put the uh, future value in the price. So you have right. to be really sharp. You have to master the fundamentals so you can uh, identify opportunities overlooked by others. On my tax return, you know what I put for profession? Opportunist. <laughs> Not real estate developer, opportunist. 
you know, people ask me, do you want to go in this? If, if there's a there's an opportunity in retail, there's an opportunity no matter where. I go for the opportunity, not the particular sector. Gotcha. And do you find that, uh, you know, working across the different asset classes, I mean, do, do you find a lot of it is transferable as, as you move from multifamily into retail, for example? Fundamentals are the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a different type of stage, you know? Yeah. You know, the fundamentals are the same, increased property value, increased cash flow, tax advantages. You know, it's, uh, still, it still grows at a multiple of the NOI, right? Yes. There's still yes. a cap rate. There still is. And, you know, cap rate, for people that don't really know, is, is just a, a market indicator of what properties sell for. When I was buying properties in um, 1992 to 1997, when nobody wanted real estate, the cap rates were 10 to 12%. Now they're 3%, 3.5% or even lower. Yeah. Do you know that in Texas, there is a company that if there is a really good hot property for sale, you have to pay a $100,000 entrance fee just to be able to get the materials to analyze and bid. And if you don't buy the property or are not awarded the property, you lose it. And all the hedge funds just, they, you know, yeah, just doing business. It in. Hey, that's, a, that's a great business. That's a hot market. Oh, there's a lot of hot. There are, I don't know if there are any bad markets anymore. There, yeah. You know, yeah. you got to look at where it is, the demographics, everything's changing. When I started in Austin and East Dallas, which became two of the hottest areas in the country. And I was in it 2007, 2008, I started. And we just saw so many things there, you know, infrastructure, educated workforce, uh, people were moving there, two, 200 people a day were moving to Austin, it was vibrant. Now, take New York City, New York City circling the drain. New York City has an invisible sign. One percent is real estate people, get out, you're not welcome here. Florida and Texas have an invisible sign, welcome. All one percenters welcome business, welcome real estate, and no taxes. So every, I mean, look at what's going on in Florida. We used to call mm -hmm. Florida the land of no appreciation, water, money, build. Florida right now is booming. Texas yeah. is Nashville is booming, and and people again don't have to live in a city to work in a city. So the whole dynamics have changed. So do you think you 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 continue to go to those booming markets, those growing markets and buy, or, or are you, are you looking for other markets, secondary, more tertiary markets that, that are flying under the radar? Uh, that's a good question. We're always looking for that. Me personally, where I'm looking now is more re residential right now, but more for tax write-offs. You know, I'm, I'm doing this a long time. My de super depreciation, you know, I took already. So now mm -hmm. I'm having tremendous amount of income that I want to shelter. So I will buy a residential property that I think has potential, even if I overpay a little, because I can now use as a real estate professional, I can use those losses to offset other gains. I get my return there. Right. That's that's me. That's a lot of hedge fund people. That's a lot of people that have been this in a long time. Younger people, it's a different dynamic. If you're young mm -hmm. and you can buy property. Now, one of the things I think your audience will appreciate is wealth building. And 
you, in, you build wealth by somehow obtaining or owning a large asset base that increases annually and over time. That's how you build wealth. So if you can buy with partners or whatever, even get to the point $10 million worth of real estate, which is not a lot, trust me, once you learn the fundamentals, I think you know that too. You can raise money, you can do different things once you learn the fundamentals. That $10 million, if it just increases 3% a year, it's $300,000 a year in appreciation. Talking about the NOI. Mm -hmm. Five years, that's a million and a half dollars. You think you increase property value. Your distributions are all sheltered and you might even amortize a mortgage. Now you take a smaller asset like a two family house that, you, that costs $750,000 and that increases 3% a year. Well, that only increases $22,500 a year over five years, 112,000, right? Mm -hmm. A million and a half versus 112,000. What's the difference? The size of the asset. Yeah. Base. All about creating the scale, right? That's right. That's right. So my whole thing is to own, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of good property that increases and keeps increasing over time. It's just constantly property value how do i do how do i invest and increase property value and mm -hmm. that's that's what we're all about that's what i'm trying to teach people that that's the key and then you know in the book harvey can't teach you learn from the streets it's these fundamentals which are giving you the you know the ability to build upon them you know there's no four-year degree that i know in real estate why don't you know real estate's changing from a uh, trade to a profession Mm -hmm. Large management companies are gobbling up. It's becoming the small ones are becoming much more corporate, and a lot of people from Ivy League schools are working for these management companies, yeah, and brokerage companies. So you know, many many times people have asked me, "I want to get into real estate." I said, "Why don't you?" I wouldn't know where to start. Now you ask anyone who wants to get into real estate and ask them that, and they'll say, "I don't know where to start." Yeah. We try to give people a place to start because it doesn't exist. You have your motivational preacher teachers that just take your money and not interested in teaching. I made, thank God, enough money. I'm 66 years old. I feel like I'm in the seventh inning. <laughs> but <laughs> my passion right now is to give back and teach others. I really enjoy it. And seeing the smile on people's faces when they see that they can better themselves is what I'm really all about. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I appreciate you bringing all your wisdom to the show today. I, wa I wanted to recap a couple, couple of things you said, because I appreciate the, the message to get back to the fundamentals. I think that's easily lost in the, mm -hmm. the frantic nature of, of the market today. And I mean, you mm -hmm. just see so many properties listing, you try to go through them. And, and my, like you said, a lot of those properties, the, uh, you know, the upsides completely are baked into the price already. Mm -hmm. so, th so then you're really pushing to say, okay, well, what if rents go up one more percent a year? You know, what, what if I can do this year? And, and you're really kind of just, just working on the margins. But, but what you said about going back to the fundamentals, I think, is finding properties. Don't just take, not just taking anything and, and hoping the rents are going to go up, but finding properties that really have some unique value proposition, right? You said maybe a mom well, and pop about, owner, right? It's more about learning what to look for. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. You know, you, you have to identify opportunities overlooked by others and also potential profit, uh, problems overlooked by others. So you have to that's get right. the basic education. That's what it is, a basic education. 
you know, I look at properties different than most people. You know, I just do. And, and that's why one of the reasons we've been successful. Yeah. And, you know, we're at a time now where I think residential is just going to keep increasing. Um, look, I've bought, I'm not trying to brag, I'm just going to help and teach. I bought properties for $5 million in 2012 that are now worth 15 to $18 million. And in the Street, uh, Street Success Real Estate Academy that I'm trying to create, we're going to find out why. Why did this property that I paid $5 million, why is it now worth 15 to $18 million? There's mm -hmm. a litany of reasons. So I'm trying to show and teach people, here's how, here's what we did. Here's the investment we made. Here's, here's how we rearranged the tenancy. Here's all the water leaks that we stopped. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what it is. Well, it seems like a really solid case study. To, to help people really, really get their hands dirty before, uh, before they have to put out a bunch of money to, to learn on the job, like, like they say. So I'm curious when you say you look at properties differently than most people, mm -hmm. what, what's that mean? I don't get uh, excited so much about the look of the property. I get, I get more excited about numbers and possibility. You know, so is that beautiful uh, building with the uh, beautiful curve appeal, you know, disaster waiting to happen, you know, just because a property looks great doesn't mean it's going to make money. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have an old, I always say I'd rather uh, make money on Avenue D in the East Village of uh, Manhattan than Park Avenue and lose money on Park Avenue. Do you know a lot of properties in Manhattan on Park Avenue was sold at a tremendous loss to somebody else? So they can get a bigger loss and then pass it off to someone else who have a bigger loss. They're so expensive, they'll never make money. Yeah. And it's just like they just keep buying them. You know, the Plaza Hotel, Donald Trump bought it at a price, sold it to someone else for a bigger loss, and they resold it for a, no one's made money with it. <laughs> and, you know, trophy property, right? Right. So it's not so much the address or the location, it, it, it's important. But it's where will I be in five years if I buy this property? Mm -hmm. and that takes a lot of due diligence. And one thing I'll tell your listeners, never cut your due diligence. People right now, it's, you know, there's 10 day due diligence periods. You want them, take it or leave it, leave it. You have to do a thorough investigation for yourself and your investors. Okay. You, you owe them that mm -hmm. to go through the procedures of analyzing the leases the bills. And while you're doing that, no. Oh, wait a minute. I just noticed this. This was a one-time shot and they included that in their NOI. So I can pull that out. That's not a normal operating expense. Or yeah. I could look at uh, the, the rent and say, well, they just got $50,000 from cable income. Well, they signed a new contract. That's a one-shot deal. That's not part of my NOI. Mm-hmm. Now, or putting a rooftop antenna on the roof and getting an extra $2,000 a month, knowing, yeah, that's great, but that contract, they lock you in for 20 years and they can get out of it any time. So a bank is going to underwrite that differently. He's going to treat that separately you yeah. know, than you would an increase in rent. These are fundamentals that you have to learn by, by doing. And unfortunately, the marketplace is a big, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, niche that needs to be filled. Yeah. Well, Sam, I, I think this is a fantastic message right now as so many people are enter, entering the market and and cap rates are compressing and people are chasing after. I mean, I, I can't tell you 
I've probably the past five properties I bid on, I think there's been, there's been at least 20 people at the table on each yeah. property. And I, I've been, uh, you know, I, I've been second place a lot, but here's a, um, here's, a, here's a trick that I think people should realize. Know when you're last on a list. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if, if I see uh, a broker, I don't know, is sending me a property. I know that all God knows people got a first look. <laughs> I've already right? looked at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's because a short my brokers, list. My brokers that are loyal to me are going to call me and say, Sam, I got this property you might be interested in. We sent it to five to 10 of our, our customers. So I'm getting an advantage. I'm getting a first look. Yeah. And um, a lot of these properties that just go out to bid, you know, a broker, think about this. Think about human nature. If you're a broker and you, someone comes to you with an offer where it's your listing, you, you're, you're the broker and he doesn't have to split the commission. And then another guy comes in with the similar price, but he's got to split it with another broker. Who do you think he's going to give it to? Yeah. He's this is go what goes on behind, you know, under the table, behind the scenes that Absolutely. people don't understand. You have to understand human nature. You have, this is the street smarts I'm telling you about that I developed, mm -hmm. you know, understand, put yourself in another person's shoes. What are they thinking? You know, there's a big difference in, it's interesting. And I write about this in the stock market. If you obtain insider information, you go to jail, Right because you have an, un, uh, an unfair advantage. Yeah. But in real estate, you go to the poorhouse if you don't obtain inside information. That's what due <laughs> diligence is about, right? So if yeah. I'm the owner or CEO, and I know that my biggest tenant's about to file bankruptcy or is not going to renew his lease, I don't have to tell you this. I don't have to disclose that, right? Real estate's a game of hide and seek. Here's how you play. Yeah, the owner hides every problem, and the buyer has to seek and find it. <laughs> That's right. A lot harder to find the problem than you know, and create. So you know, these are again street smart techniques, understanding human nature, uh, understanding these fundamentals. Always have your spider sense tingling, and that is pretty much the key to success. I would say. Yeah, I love I love that. I mean, a couple of takeaways for me as, as we start to wrap it up, or just you know, understand the fundamentals and use the fundamentals to understand where there, where there's outsized value. There's a value proposition there besides just rents are going to increase, you know, in, in the market, right? You're finding mom and pops, you're finding water leaks, finding that, that C in that A area, right? I'll give you another example. Landscaping. Okay. I found a building, you know, it gets very cold in, in certain parts of, uh, areas right you know in the in the summer you, you need your landscaping they're paying a, a, a monthly charge every month well you don't need landscaping services let's say in the winter when it's frozen and everything's dying <laughs> right what are they mowing the snow yeah. yeah those are little things so you renegotiate with the landscaper you know hey no one told us you know you know yeah. these are little things and again there's a lot of stuff in the book but again get your spider sense tingling Look at the expenses, understand the numbers, what they mean, and how they affect property value. And you'll be yep. very successful. And focus on the psychology. I love that piece about understand the seller, understand why chapter, they're selling. Chapter under five in the book, psychological due diligence. Why is the property for sale? There you okay. Go. Yeah. What's the owner's reputation? Does he draw everything out or is he a bad operator? We listed, mm -hmm. I think, 15, 20 different things. Um, 
why is the building for sale? The good reasons. Guy just wants to cash out. Yeah. You know, I think that's what everybody's doing in this market, it seems. Well, where do you put the money? Yeah. Good question. When I return money to my investors as a uh, refinance, they're actually mad. <laughs> yeah. okay, what am I going to do with this money? You know, honestly. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that risk of what are you going to invest in next? And remember, if you understand real estate and the fundamentals, you can legally right now, unless something changes, own real estate without paying taxes almost for your entire lifetime and your children's. Yeah, like it's a fantastic opportunity in real estate. And you, you don't have to be an active investor. You can be passive. You can be investing in other people's deals. You still well, get a that, lot of those that's benefits. true. That's true. That's true. But, um, but if you're active, if you're a real estate professional, you definitely get the, uh, the lion's share of the opportunities. So yep. Sam, before I let you go, I want to take you through our keys to success round. There's four questions that I want to ask you. The first one is, if you were going to invest with someone else, and you could only ask them one question before you handed your money over, what would that one question be? Well, there would be a lot of questions, but the one I would ask the best is, what's this property going to be worth after you develop it? You talk to investors, uh, uh, right. In other words, where do you see the building in five years? What are you going to do to this building to, what are your plans to, to increase property value? Yeah, there you go. It goes back to your message. It's all about property value. What are you most proud of in your career? Well, um, the thing I'm most proud of is my wife and two kids. Uh, in my career, honestly, the most proud thing is in a 11th grade, because I was so obnoxious and I was, my 11th grade teacher said to the class, everybody look at Sam Liebman. He's going to be driving a truck for the rest of his life. And that got me. It was ironic because three years later, he quit and bought Tropicana routes, but nobody <laughs> influenced him. But I think the most thing I'm proud of is coming from nothing, from a dysfunctional family, having to overcome a lot of uh, problems and issues and becoming successful because I worked so hard to do it with nobody's help and became self-sufficient. I think that's the most I'm proud of. And then I'm a good person and I never try to uh, cheat somebody or steal from them or anything like that. Yeah, well, that's a lot to be proud of. What is the one book that everybody should read? Harvard can't teach what you learn from the streets. Um, Couldn't imagine. Yeah, you know, I, the book that I would recommend is a simple book. It was written by Michael Gerber. It's called The E-Myth. It's a very popular book. It's only a hundred something pages. But what he basically said in the book is that there are three parts to a successful uh, business. And if you don't have any of these uh, or you're missing all three, your business will fail. Number one, you got to be an entrepreneur. You got to have management and you got to have technicians. And anytime you don't have all three, you fail. Someone has to bring the business in. Someone has to manage the business and manage the people that can actually uh, uh, do the work. Mm -hmm. And without those three, uh, business will fail. And I think that's tremendous advice. Yeah, tremendous advice. And that's an, that's an awesome book. And uh, lastly, what is your number one key to success? I think it's the fire in my belly from being told you're nothing and who the hell are you and everything. That fire in my belly to show people that, uh, hey, I'm not better than you, but I'm as good as you. Just kept 
going. That it, I, it was like a challenge. It was just something yeah. I was born with. You know, I was always put down because where I came from. You know, who are you? Who are this? And now, unfortunately, I'd like to show them, but they're all dead now. But uh, uh, that confidence of yeah, I'll show you. That for me personally, that drove me. Still does. Yeah, that's great. That that motivation, your your big why that drives you, and and persistence. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It, it wasn't easy. You, I just kept plugging and plugging and plugging. And uh, I, one of the things I did was I read every document. You know, I didn't want to rely on lawyers and other accountants. I, I read everything. Mm-hmm. Be a student of the game. Be a gym rat. Yeah. Okay? You ever see the basketball players that are in the gym? Those are the, Michael Jordan worked harder than anyone. Yeah. People don't realize. They look at Michael Jackson. What a great dancer. What a great you know people don't know how hard he worked practicing. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing. You just got to have that fire in your stomach and passion. You must develop passion for the real estate business, just like anybody else. And once you see all the positives, it gives you motivation. You say, wow, it's, I can do this. It's not, you know, not rocket science. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's awesome advice in that, I love the idea of be a, be a gym rat, be a student of the game. And I think it's so important. I think so many people gloss over the, uh, the, the non-sexy stuff, right? The legal agreements, the, the insurance contracts, the, you know, the, the title work, all those things that, that could, can really make or break you. So really good advice, Sam, really appreciate it. Before I let you go, tell folks, uh, you know, tell folks more about, you know, where can they get the book? How can they reach you if they want to learn more about what you got going on? The book you could buy on Amazon. Hobby can teach what you learn from the streets. We have a website that we're doing called samleben.com. We have articles on there. We, we are changing the website now to form a community where people can uh, join us and, and they'll be able to ask questions. They'll be able to talk about deals they have. It's all about teaching, all about giving back. That's what it's about now. It's, you know, when we first did the website, it was all about the people that did it were talking about how great Sam Liebman is, Instagram, look what he did. No, it's wrong. That was wrong. It's now, what can I do for you? You know, like John Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for the country. So we're changing that whole website now to be, guys, here's what we can do for you. And there's no money. We're not charging anything. Yeah. It's just a develop a community. We're going to be doing some clubhouses. Clubhouse is a new form, uh, platform out there. And it's going to be talking about all these, these um, topics and uh, fundamentals so people can grow. They have some place to turn to and grow. doesn't exist right now. Yeah, I love that. Love that. I mean, e- education is, is critically needed, especially education that, that's uh, just for the sake of education and, and, and not to make a big profit. So appreciate what you're doing out there, Sam. And uh, thanks again for being on the show and have a great rest of the day. It's been an re- absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.